Good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Welcome to the coldest building. <laughs> the only building that is colder inside than it is outside. Sure. Um, uh, we don't have our reader this morning, and so I'm going to read our text for us, and I'm going to use my phone, which I've seen go horribly wrong, so please intercede in faith uh, with me. Uh, and our passage this morning comes from uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, starting in verse 25 uh, through to tw- uh, 35. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it was uh, 11 years ago in this service Uh, that I preached my first sermon uh, here at Church of the Apostles. Uh, It was the first Sunday after Christmas, and we had a big snowstorm that came through, if you remember, in 2009, Uh, and I was very grateful that many of the roads were closed um, so I could preach to a handful of people, probably fewer than are here today, and there was no COVID and none of those things around, uh, rather than to, to a large gathering. And, uh, you know, my heart was in my throat, and I was sweating a lot for freezing temperatures that we were facing. Uh, But ever since then, God has really laid this burden on me uh, to proclaim the Word of God. And uh, what a a wonderful burden that has been for me. And uh, I thought I would look back at what I taught then, 11 years ago, and it was from this, Luke's Gospel, and chapter 2. And it is the telling of this event uh, of Jesus' presentation in uh, the temple in Jerusalem, and in particular, his encounter with this older man, Simeon. 
And this raises an interesting question, and really these first two chapters of Luke raise an interesting question. Why in the middle of the narrative of Jesus' coming to earth does Luke surround his story with older people? Why is it that Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents, uh, and Simeon and Anna are all very old? Why did God ordain the parents of the last prophet to be, in his words, advanced in years, and the parents of the Messiah be young? Why are the two witnesses, Simeon and Anna, at the point of death when they see Jesus and testify to him? The question comes not just out of curiosity, but because Luke seems himself to stress this issue in the text. He makes it explicit in each case, in chapter 1, verse 7, in chapter 2, verse 29, and in chapter 2, verse 36 and following. There are two clues that suggest a reason for why Luke does this. First, in all four cases, these elderly people are pictured as very devout and godly saints. In the case of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Luke stressed that they walked in all the commandments of the law and were righteous before God in chapter 1, verse 6. In the case of Simeon and Anna, Luke stressed that they were uh, devout temple-goers, that they cherished the hope of the Old Testament prophets. Simeon, he says, is looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna is looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, these were model Old Testament saints who kept the law of Moses and looked with eagerness towards the hope of the prophets. The second clue for why it's elderly people who welcome Jesus into the world comes from Luke chapter 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. Luke is the only gospel writer who records that saying of Jesus, so we can see that it was significant for him. Up until John the Baptist's coming, the word and the rule of God had been proclaimed through the law and the prophets. But now with the arrival of Jesus, the king, and his forerunner, John, the word and rule of God is proclaimed and encountered in a new way. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the king. The long-awaited kingdom has now arrived, uh, at least partially. For those who believe in Jesus, a tremendous shift occurs. No longer do we live merely in the era of of promise with the law and the prophets uh, waiting that consolation of Israel. Now we live in the era of fulfillment. When the kingdom of God is preached as present and powerful, albeit not yet consummated, with those two clues as our guide, 
I would suggest that Luke is illustrating two things by showing us these four aged Old Testament saints. First, I think he wants us to see that an era is drawing to a close. The era of the law and the prophets. He shows us this by depicting the best representatives of that era as advanced in years and at the point of death. They are passing away just like the era of the law and the prophets. The second thing Luke wants to illustrate is that there is no conflict between the law and the prophets and the new age of the Messiah. He shows this by depicting the most devout people under the old era as being the most receptive to the new era. Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna do not become resentful and angry that the Messiah has come, not even that he will be a light to the Gentiles. They rejoice that the new has come. That's why you hear from this pulpit that we are not divorced from the Old Testament. There is a much deeper transition than just a, a separation or an ending. There is a fulfilling of the law and the prophets, which does not abolish the law, as Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, with that introduction, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that we never have to doubt the reality of salvation. We never have to doubt the reality of eternal life because you have proved it to us in Jesus. Father, we may not understand our circumstances at times, but we can, also, we can always know our future. What greater gift. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to have ears to hear and hearts to receive and minds to comprehend your text for us this morning. Father, we ask that you would do this in Christ's name. Amen. So now we turn our attention specifically uh, to the text that was read. This man, Simeon, what, what do we know about him? Well, we know four things. First, he is described as righteous and devout. He loved God and he loved neighbor. Now, remember, we have no righteousness on our own, so his righteousness was uh, credited to him by his faith, his trust, and his obedience to God, and certainly his looking forward to the Savior, the Redeemer. In verse 29, we see in his prayer that he refers to himself as a slave or a servant of God. Similar language that we see from Paul and James and Jude. He knew who he belonged to. Second, he is waiting expectantly for the consolation of Israel. 
That is, he is waiting expectantly, he is waiting eagerly for the coming of the Messiah who was promised. One of the names used for uh, the coming of the Messiah, one of the names used for that Messiah was Comforter. The Comforter, because he, they knew that he would fulfill what was prophesied in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. This was the, the message of the Messiah. He would be the comforter. And Simeon was looking eagerly for this comfort, this consolation of Israel. Third, we are told uh, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Before Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit would uh, come upon particular individuals uh, and empower them for particular tasks and, and ministries. For example, he would come upon prophets. And this statement means that Simeon was likely a prophet. And the Holy Spirit inspired him and gave him his message to speak. Fourthly, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Four things that characterize and describe this interesting elderly man, Simeon. Now look at verse 27. It describes this perfect divine synchronization of time. And he, Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do according to him, uh, uh, according to the custom of the law, at the precise moment, and we have this dramatic encounter between the old man Simeon and the infant Jesus. Verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. It could be quite natural to uh, pick up a child, a, a, an infant, when you see one. Maybe not just any random infant that you see, uh, not some strange baby, especially these days. Uh, I mean one that you know. Have you ever seen someone hold a baby for the first time? They sort of don't know where to put their hands and they don't know if they're supposed to swing or bounce and uh, they look quite uncomfortable. It's, it's a quite a funny episode, actually. Uh, they're trying to be careful. They don't know how to support or move. It's like someone driving stick shift for the first time. <clears throat> but anyone who has experience with children, we know how and where to hold the baby for the most part. And our natural instinct is to go and ask, can I hold the baby? Can I hold your child? And there's that very precious moment of looking at the child and, and observing the child. But there is more to Simeon here than just instinct to want to hold an infant, to hold a baby. His was a symbolic act of recognition and of personal faith in the one he had come to recognize. Just think with me for a second here. Here is Simeon, advanced in years, near death, holding a baby, a baby who is God in flesh, the very reason for his own existence, the very one through
through whom and by whom the world was created. I don't know about you, but my arms would have an extra wobble in them at the thought of holding this baby, fearful that I may drop the Lord of all creation and the the God of salvation on his head. Now, I think it's important to note some of the historical conditions under which this meeting is taking place. Israel at this time is occupied by the Romans, these outsiders. There was a a cruel king uh, over Israel in King Herod. The scribes and the Pharisees had externalized religion, so you had a bunch of Pharisees. I thought that was funny. It's like I'll be reading in the Bible and I'll be reading about the Pharisees and I'll think, these Pharisees are a bunch of Pharisees. And I think, oh, that's where that comes from. Then you had these Sadducees who were these uh, worldly-minded religious leaders. And in the midst of truly desperate times, there were faithful people like Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, and Simeon, and Anna. And their hope was not lost. Though it may have looked like it, though it looked bleak, their hope was not lost. The average Jew at this time was looking for a political Messiah who would bring them into independence from Rome. I do fear that many Christians today are looking for a political Messiah and looking past Jesus for that Messiah. But what Simeon, what was Simeon looking for? Well, let's look together. Simeon sees four things in the baby Jesus. First, the fulfillment of the promise. Second, the salvation of God, verses 30 to 31. Third, the light of the world, verse 32. And finally, the cause for division, verses 33 to 35. First, Simeon recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of promise, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, or as it was, as you have promised, that he would see the Christ before he died. But there's more than that. Beyond that, he's fulfilling the promise of the coming Messiah. Jesus said that the Scriptures bear witness to me. Genesis 3.15, the one that would come that would be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, We see him as the the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations uh, would be blessed and are being blessed. We see him as the seed of David, reigning on David's throne. We see him as the suffering servant of the Lord who came to suffer and die for our sins and rise again. And we could go on and on through the entire Old Testament. So God's righteous remnant in Israel clung to these promises of God. It reminds us of Hebrews chapter 11, where all these figures lived their lives looking for the promised one, but they never saw what was promised. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better. 
Maybe a question we should be asking ourselves as we head into the new year is what kind of God do we believe in? What kind of God do we believe in? I hope very much He is a God of promise, the God whose promises you and I trust and believe. I hope we are like Abraham, who was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to accomplish. He was able to perform. Here's the first thing Simeon noticed, is that Jesus is Jesus as the fulfillment of promise. Second, Simeon recognized Jesus as the salvation of God. Look at verses 30 and 31. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Picture this scene again. Here Simeon holds Jesus, and he sees Mary's baby. But what he says he sees is the salvation from God for a sinful world. Now, I think we need to think for a moment though I'm sure most of us are very familiar with this, but we need to think about these two words that have been introduced, sin and salvation. Certainly the vocabulary of sin and salvation are integral to the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where Joseph is told to call, his, uh, call the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Or the message from the angels to uh, the shepherds today, uh, that, that to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We don't talk of sin and salvation in our uh, everyday speech, but they are essential to the Christmas story, are they not? So what do they mean? And if you're very familiar with this, it's always good to hear it again. <laughs> Sin is self-centeredness. Sin is the assertion of the self against the love and the authority of God. Sin is self. It is really quite something when you see someone, a person beginning to come to that understanding. Uh, the Holy Spirit is obviously beginning to open their eyes uh, so that they can see who they truly are. And that reality of sin is seen everywhere for this person. What they were once blind to, they are now have this awareness of how they had been living and what they had been living for and what they had been pursuing and, and what they thought was fulfilling them. And it really is something amazing to see a person who begins to see with clarity these things. And salvation is freedom. To be set free from all those things that inhibit us from being what God wants us to be as his creation, as, as human beings. Freedom from guilt and, and a guilty conscience. As Mark Twain said, man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. This is our guilt of which we are very well aware. 
in our best moments, we know the things that we shudder away in, in, in dark corners of which we are ashamed. Salvation is freedom from guilt and a guilty conscience. And freedom begins with forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there is no freedom. Without forgiveness, there is no salvation. And there, too, is the freedom from the just judgment of God on our sin and on our rebellion against His law and His love. Salvation is freedom from death and the fear of death. Like Simeon, who was ready to die in peace because he had been set free by Christ. Jesus is portrayed in the New Testament as the supreme liberator. Through him we can be set free from every bondage of guilt and judgment and self-centeredness and fear. He himself lived the perfect life of love. He had no sin that he needed to atone for himself, but he went purposefully to the cross in order to die the death which our sins had deserved. He died as substitute instead of us and in our place. And not only that, but he rose again. And by the Holy Spirit, he can enter into our personality and set us free. Simeon recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of promise. Simeon recognized Jesus as the salvation of God. Third, Simeon recognized Jesus as the light of the world. Verse 32 describes Jesus as the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory uh, to his people Israel. Verse 32 is this a clear allusion to Isaiah 49, verse 6, where God says to his servant, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to rescue the tribes of Jacob and to bring back Israel to me. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So Simeon echoes that promise from Isaiah the Apostle Paul knew this verse very well from Isaiah. He, he quotes it on several occasions. And it was at the very center of his theology of mission, of Paul's theology of mission. He, he understood mission in light of these great references to Christ being the light to the Gentiles. For example, in Acts chapter 26, when Paul stands uh, on trial before King Agrippa, he tells him, I am saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. This is Luke's great emphasis, understanding that Jesus came for everyone, not just the Jews. Luke is the, is the only Gentile contributor to the New Testament. All the other contributors to the New Testament are Jewish. 
Luke is this well-educated man. He's a doctor. He's widely traveled. He's a careful historian. And in his two-volume work on the origins of Christianity, in his gospel, Luke, and in the book of Acts, Luke's great emphasis is on the universal scope of the good news, especially to those that are often despised and left out. Jesus came for women and children, for the sick and suffering, for the poor and the oppressed, for the publicans and the sinners, for the Samaritans and for the Gentiles. He depicts Jesus as the Savior and the light of the whole world. So Simeon saw in Jesus the fulfillment of promise, the salvation of God, the light of the world, and finally the cause of division, verses 33 to 35. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign that is opposed. It seems as if Simeon likens Jesus to a stone or or a rock. Some people find him a rock of offense so that they would stumble against him, so that they would fall and he would be the cause of their downfall, while others would find him a foundation stone upon which to build their lives and on which to rise. He's also a sign that will be spoken against, provoking opposition, causing suffering, including Mary herself. She would feel a sword pierce her own soul. And as a result, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What Simeon is predicting here is that Jesus Christ will be the cause of division in society. Some will accept him. Some will reject him. He will be the cause of some to fall and others to rise. And people's inmost attitudes will be revealed by their response to Jesus Christ. Neutrality will be an impossibility. People will either be for him or against him, and he will compel us to decide. And so, as we come to a close this morning, asking ourselves if we see Jesus for who he truly is, Do we see Jesus as the fulfillment of promise, the salvation of God, the light of the whole world, and the cause of division? Or do we see what so many others see, just a baby that was born? If if we see below the surface, and we can do what Simeon did metaphorically speaking, and we can take him up in our arms and we can make him our own, we can claim him, 
as the Savior that we need, putting our trust in Him, then you too can say like Simeon, Lord, now your servant can depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, for death holds no power over me now that I am in Christ and he is in me. I know that many of us have lost dear ones this year. And there will be people who have died and do not have Christ, and there are people who have died who do have Christ. That is a massive difference in how they died. Some with tremendous hope in understanding where they are going and some in terrible fear for not knowing anything. My prayer is that not one person would hear my, who's hearing my voice right now would die with fear but would die like Simeon with uh, an assurance and a trust and that your eternal salvation is secure forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this elderly man, Simeon. We thank you that by the power of your Spirit, you opened his eyes to see Christ for who he was and for who he is for he has not stopped being who he is. Even with foresight to see an infant and recognize salvation and even uh, cause for division, a light to the world. For here we are, non-Jews, Gentiles, gathering together in this place to praise your name, to testify to what Christ has done, And so, Father, my prayer is that we wouldn't just look past Christmas, but that, Father, we would treasure it in our hearts, that we would treasure this thought of what you have done for us in the sending of your Son, not just to be born to live a life, but to purposefully walk to that cross, to die so that we can have life, not just life in the full, but eternal life, Oh, Lord, may we not think these things lightly. May we see the depth and the richness that has come from your word through your Son. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.